Hear the word of the Lord from John 20, 1 through 8. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. This is the word of the Lord. So something you probably don't know about me is that like last year's male student body chaplain, Dylan Roderick, I am a huge Star Wars fan. And I think there comes a moment in every Star Wars fan's life when they realize that they're more of a Star Wars nerd. And it's that moment when you're talking to someone and you're saying things like, man, you know, in The Empire Strikes Back, when Luke like jumps out of the pit just before he gets frozen, isn't that just awesome? And then the other person says, The Empire Strikes Back. That's like the fourth one, right? And then you internally laugh and go, no, it's the fifth one, while realizing you probably know way too much about Star Wars. Maybe you're not a Star Wars person. Maybe you're a basketball person. Maybe you spent painstaking time putting together your bracket, taking into consideration player statistics, team records, coaching strategies, and then lovingly sent it into the bracket pool with all of your friends, only to be frustrated out of your mind when you get beaten by that one friend who like has never watched a college basketball game in their life. Ever been there? But maybe today you're like me, and I consider myself a little bit of a Bible nerd, and that's because I have a favorite Bible author, <laughs> um, and my favorite Bible author is John. And because of that, I have read his account of the resurrection many times before, but this year, when I was reading it, verse 5 just kind of jumped out at me, where it says, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. And so the question that came to my mind was, why, why did he stop? So the, the other disciple in this passage besides Peter is traditionally understood to be the disciple John. And so Peter and John had heard from Mary Magdalene that the, that the body was gone and they didn't know where it was. And so they take off running towards the tomb. And John beats Peter there. But when he gets there, he doesn't go in. And the thing is, is a lot of times when I picture the tomb, I picture this giant like seven-foot hole in the side of a mountain but it was really actually probably about this height, about three foot tall. And so when John got to the tomb, he couldn't see in because he stopped outside and it was too low. And so he stops and he just kind of bends over to peek in the tomb. He doesn't actually go in until Peter, being Peter, blows past him and runs in the tomb first. And so my question was why? Why did John stop? outside the tomb. And that got me to thinking about a time in my life when I kind of just stopped and froze. It was 
pretty recently this past summer, and I had gotten a text from an ex-boyfriend of mine that said, hey, you want to go grab lunch? <laughs> and most people would have said no, but of course I said yes. <laughs> so a week passes and the dreaded day arrives, and because life had happened in the past four years since I've dated him, we were now living two hours apart, and we had decided that we were going to meet for lunch and right in between our two houses, which meant that I had an hour alone in the car by myself to question my very sanity. <laughs> I was driving just thinking things like, why on earth did I say yes to this? What are we going to talk about? Is he going to like try to pay for my food? Is he going to try to sit next to me in like a booth or something? Is he going to ask me out again? Like how, how quickly can I eat my food without choking so I can leave? <laughs> And so I pull into the Panera Bread parking lot because, you know, if you're going to have an awkward lunch, you might as well get some good food out of the deal. And so I get there, and I park, and I grab my door handle, and I freeze because I have no idea what's going to happen when I step out of my car, like absolutely no clue. But then he pulls up in his car and gets out, and I'm like, well, I have to get out now, you know, too late to turn back. So I open the door, and I step out, and I walk around the back of my car, and I give him one of these. Hi. <laughs> because how do you greet an ex? Like, really, you can't shake their hand because you dated them, and it's too, you know, it's, it's too impersonal, but you can't hug them either because that's just weird. So you just give them an awkward wave and a kind of weird smile and kind of try to move past the awkward. And so we walk into Panera Bread and we're heading up to the dreaded cash register like, oh, what's going to happen? And all this fear and anticipation is just building inside of me and then nothing. <laughs> like he doesn't. I pay for my own food. <laughs> We sat with a table between us. He didn't try to ask me out again. And I actually ended up having a pretty good lunch with a friend that I hadn't talked to in a while. And I figure most of you probably don't have a story like that because most of you are smart enough to say no when an ex texts you up and is like, hey, let's get lunch. But maybe you have another story of a time when fear and anticipation caused you to just freeze because you were unsure of what was going to happen if you kept moving. And so I think John in this passage can understand how we feel in those moments. But for us to understand why he can understand us, we have to go back to John chapter 12 and read what's been going on. So I'm going to read from John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15, and you guys can follow along. But this is the story of when... Jesus and the disciples are heading into Jerusalem for the Passover. And so John chapter 12, verse 12 says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And see, the word Hosanna here literally means save now. So the people were shouting, save now. And they brought palm branches with them, right? 
So historically in Jewish culture, palm branches stood for victory in battle. And so when you put those two pieces together, it's pretty easy to see what the people were expecting from Jesus. See, there was this overwhelming thought of Messiah that he was supposed to be a conquering king. He was going to come and he was going to kick the Romans out and he was going to take back the throne of David. Do you guys remember like back in the Christmas story when Herod sends all of his soldiers to get rid of the baby boys under two in Jerusalem? He did that because he had heard from the Magi that the Messiah had been born in Jerusalem and he was terrified that the Messiah was going to come and take his throne. It was that deeply ingrained in the culture. And John was a Jew, right? He, he had these expectations. Not only that, he had followed Jesus for three years. He was in his inner circle. And I can imagine many times John had probably thought, maybe Jesus is the one. Maybe he's the one who's going to fix this. And can you imagine being John in that moment, walking into Jerusalem with Jesus? Like, it would have been like if Villanova had walked into the college basketball national championships with a 50-point lead. Just imagine being him. Like, you're walking into Jerusalem. Jesus is on the donkey. Thousands of people are shouting, Hosanna, save now. And they have palm branches everywhere. And you can just see the victory that's coming. All you had to do was not lose the lead and you were going to win. All Jesus had to do was say, let's go. And the crowd would have come to his side and they could have taken back the throne. But Jesus does not do that in this moment. Instead, the story goes on and they have the Passover meal. And then after the Passover meal, the, Jesus calls the disciples out to the Garden of Gethsemane, which is not an uncommon thing. Jesus had done this before. But this night was different, because this night, John sees torches coming in the distance. As they get closer, the light from the torches illuminates the faces of soldiers being led by the disciple Judas. And in John chapter 18, we see that they approach, and Jesus walks up to them, and he says, whom do you seek? And then they answer him, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus says to them, I am he. And when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Seriously, can you imagine the disciples in this moment? Like, all this guy's going to have to do is, like, say the word, and the armies of Rome are going to fall at his feet. And Peter, you know, again, being Peter, he's already got his sword on his hip. He's ready to go. So he pulls the sword out. He chops the ear off of one of the soldiers. He's ready to go. And then Jesus says, Peter, sheath your sword. What? He heals the guy's ear. And then he walks away with the soldiers, willingly arrested. This wasn't what was supposed to happen. So the disciples scatter. Peter, who said he would follow Jesus unto death, follows him to the trial, but then denies him three times and disappears. Out of all 12 disciples, only John follows Jesus through the trial, through the sentencing, all the way to the foot of the cross. And as he's standing at the foot of the cross, along with 
some of the women that had followed Jesus. He's hearing the taunts of the people. And they're saying, you, Jesus, the king of the Jews, you who would tear the temple down and build it up three days later, come down off that cross and save yourself. And while John is not saying these things aloud, I can imagine that he's probably thinking the same things. Looking up at Jesus on the cross and thinking, Jesus, you're supposed to be the Messiah. Show, Show these people who you are. Come down off that cross. And every agonizing moment he's thinking, you know, maybe now he'll come down. Maybe now he'll show them who he is. And then Jesus dies. And see, we know, we know the resurrection's coming, but John didn't know that. All he knew is that he had seen Jesus die with his own eyes, and that now Mary was telling him that the body was gone. And so he goes to the tomb, but he stops, because what what if the body's still there? What, What if nothing has changed? You see, what what we celebrate every year on Easter and throughout our lives as the greatest victory, John felt as the greatest defeat. What we celebrate as the greatest victory, John felt in the moment as the greatest defeat. Because what he had believed in for three years was gone. He had believed that Jesus was the Messiah, but this was not what the Messiah was supposed to do. The Messiah was supposed to kick the Romans out, not be killed by them. Had John believed a lie? Was Jesus really who he said he was? And so I think that John stops outside the tomb because he's terrified of what he's going to see when he looks in. Has there ever been a time in your life when you stopped outside the tomb, so to say? When something has kept you from believing in God, hoping in God, trusting in God? Because I think there are times in all of our lives when we just start to question whether Jesus really is who he said he was, who we believed him to be. And maybe for you... It was a family split that is still rocking your world to this day. Maybe it was that person who wounded you while all the time proclaiming that they were a Christian. Maybe it was a season of doubt that you just can't seem to get out of. Maybe it's shame that's keeping you locked up inside. Maybe it's an addiction you can't seem to quit. Maybe it's a diagnosis that doesn't seem to be going away. For me... It was a phone call on June 30th of this past summer telling me that my younger brother had died in an accident. And I was devastated. I was, and I remember, I remember so vividly waking up on the day of his funeral, terrified that my faith wouldn't make it through the day. I was terrified that I was going to stand outside the tomb forever, having the memory of once following God, but never being able to actually trust him again. 
And I think that we continue to stand outside the tomb because the cross is just so much easier to see. See, in, that, in those times, crucifixions were very public affairs. They were done on the sides of roads and up on hills so that people could see what was going on. But the empty tomb, this tomb was only about three feet tall. You had to stoop down to see in this thing. It is not that easy all the time to see the hope of the empty tomb. But it's really, really, really easy to see the pain of the cross. I think we stand outside the tomb for so long because all we can see is the cross. We are afraid to enter the tomb because all we can see is the cross. We're afraid to hope because all we can see is hurt. We're afraid to surrender because all we can see is shame. We're afraid to have faith because all we can see is fear. And I remember very specifically one moment this past year when I was just overwhelmed by it all. Overwhelmed by the hurt. My hurt, my family's hurt, the hurt of the world, and I just couldn't take it anymore. And it was during summit fall semester. And I remember I just couldn't take it and so I collapsed. Like right here, the extension wasn't here. So it was, it was right here, I remember so vividly. I collapsed on the altar and I cried out to God in anger and in anguish. And God didn't say, Come on, Megan, pull it together. I'm in control. Everything's fine. Instead, he said something to me that has been resounding in my heart every day since. He said that the hope is just as real as the hurt. As real as the hurt feels right now, the hope is just as real. Yeah, the pain of the cross is real, but so is the hope of the empty tomb. See, it doesn't matter. The fact that John stopped out here terrified to look in did not change the fact that Jesus wasn't in the tomb. It didn't change that fact. No matter how long you've been standing out here terrified of what's going to happen if you reach out to God again, it doesn't change the fact that he is risen, the tomb is empty, and there is hope in his name. Yeah, all the pain and the suffering, it's real. But so is the hope of the empty tomb. And I will, I think, today, it's time for us to step into the tomb again. To hope against hope that God is still working. To cry out to God, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And I know it's scary. Trust me, I know. But I promise you that Jesus is not in there anymore. And there is still hope, no matter what you're facing. And not just hope for like, to, you know, one day far away when Jesus returns, but real hope for today. See, there's this pastor named Levi Lusco who had his own moment outside the tomb when he lost his five-year-old daughter to medical complications. And this Easter, on his Instagram, he wrote this quote. He said, that the power of the resurrection isn't just for eternity, it's for the journey. See, the resurrection reaches down into our lives. It reaches down into the pain and the suffering that we feel. And no, it doesn't really, it doesn't always fix everything. 
Because when John walked back out of that tomb, he still had to face division in the church and persecution and exile. But no matter what he faced, he took the hope of the empty tomb with him. And so do we. You see, God's not expecting us to just sit back and be okay with our suffering. In fact, I think it is right to feel a holy discontent with the suffering in this world and to do as much as we can to stop it. Because this is not how God made the world. God didn't make the world with suffering in it. But sin came and royally screwed everything up. But God did not leave us to our own devices. Instead, he decided to do something about it. You see, God entered into our pain so that we could enter into his life. He entered into our pain and suffering so that we could enter into his life and have hope. He's not asking us to be okay, but he is asking us to step inside the tomb. He's asking us to hope in the midst of hurt and to surrender even if we feel shame, to have faith even, when we have, even in the midst of fear, to commit to him even in the midst of confusion. He's calling us to stoop down and look in the tomb and see that he's not there and that there is hope. So maybe you're like John in this passage and something has been keeping you out here. Something has been holding you captive and you've been terrified to bend down and look in the tomb because you have no idea what's going to happen if you dare to reach out to God again, if you dare to hope again, if you dare to have faith again. If that's you, today's your day. Today's your day to step into the tomb, to reach out to Jesus again. Even if you can only do so in anger or in doubt or in fear. Because he'll meet you where you are. But maybe today you don't identify with John. But you know what? I bet you know someone who does. And if that's you, then I challenge you. Be like Peter. You see, John didn't actually go into the tomb until Peter, and this is just kind of how I imagine it. I imagine John standing out there and Peter just like running as fast as he can, like diving sideways into the tomb and then yelling back out, John, dude, the body's gone. Come check this out. When you hit times in your life when you begin to question things, you need to borrow hope and faith and confidence from other people. And so for the people out here in this room who are like Peter, let other people borrow your hope. Let them borrow your faith. Let them borrow your confidence in God. Because when you step towards Jesus, you give other people the confidence and the courage to believe that maybe they can too. I remember the day of the funeral, the day that I thought my faith would die. I prayed for the first time in a long time. And it wasn't pretty. It wasn't eloquent and full of like beautiful accolades to the Lord. 
it was a lot more like this. It was a lot more like, Jesus, I have no idea how to trust you anymore. I am so angry with you right now. I don't even know if I like you right now. But I need you anyway. See, I went from standing out here to bending over and looking in and finally to stepping inside. And what I found when I got in there was that the tomb was empty and that there was still hope, that Jesus met me exactly where I was. And it didn't fix everything. Trust me, this past 10 months have been the hardest of my life. But because I reached out to Jesus again, because I took, I took courage from the Holy Spirit and what I knew about God to be true, and I stooped down and I looked in the tomb and I stepped inside, I realized that Jesus still is who he said he was. No matter what I was going through, he was still God and he was still good. And he was still with me. And you know, your story is probably different from mine. You might not have lost someone, but I promise you, whatever you're walking through today, because all of us are walking through something, the tomb is empty, and there is hope, and Jesus is alive. So if you identify with John today, Reach out to Jesus again. Don't leave this place without reaching out to him again, even if it feels like the millionth time you have done so. Because I, over the past 10 months, have reached out to God in fear and in hurt so many times, but every time I reached out, I found hope. Every time I found Jesus was still there. And if today you identify with Peter, let, us, let other people borrow your hope and your faith and your confidence in God. And pray. Pray for all of us who are struggling to believe. And you know, no matter what, no matter where you are today, there is something that all of us can do together. No matter what you're facing, no matter who you are, Jesus is who he said he was. And we can proclaim that together. No matter if you're standing outside the tomb or whether you're already inside of it, Jesus is who he said he was. And as the band comes back out, we're going to have a closing song. And I invite you that if you are like John today and you need to do what I did and come to the front and kneel before Christ and reach out to him again, do so. Don't leave this place before you've done it. And no matter who you are, like I said, whether you're standing outside the tomb or whether you're already inside of it, we can all proclaim who Jesus is in our lives. So let's stand today together and proclaim our resurrected King.